Hello. How's it going? My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's a joy to be with you this morning. I'm from Tennessee. I just live in Minnesota, uh, which means the snow is still fun for me. Um, and so when it snows, I'm always like, yes, it's exciting. And it covers up the dog poop and it's just awesome. Um, but it's also a great thing just to remember some of the things that scripture says about uh, the Lord and how he works. And so I kind of want to pray in that direction, just thinking about this newness, uh, sometimes that the snow brings. Um, but why don't you pray with me and we'll just jump into the word here. Lord, thank you for uh, the way uh, your word describes your pursuit of us. And Lord, you don't want to just help us out a little bit. Uh, your word says that though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Uh, Lord, I also uh, love the, the thought uh, that each snowflake is unique. And God, your pursuit of our hearts is uh, tailored to us. Lord, you know how to move in our hearts. And so some of us, Lord, we're here this morning and there's all kinds of stuff on our minds, all kinds of things to be concerned about. We may have barely pressed pause in our life to sit here for an hour or so. But Lord, we know that your spirit can move. And we ask that you would use, uh, continue to use this gathering together uh, in worship and under, uh, Lord, your word that we would grow, Lord, we would hear your voice for us this morning. We're so thankful, Lord, we're gathered here in this room, we're gathered online and some are catching up later in the week, um, but Lord, we're together and we know that your spirit is at work. Uh, Lord, we know nothing can stop your love and so we ask that you would come and get us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're in Luke's gospel. Even if you're here for the first time uh, and you've missed several, it doesn't matter. The Lord knows exactly where you are today and can meet you in the passage that we have. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. If you want to start turning there, and I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened in 1998 uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, Lisa and I had been married for three years. We were there touring downtown. We happened to be walking in front of the White House at this moment. And I saw this huge production truck and these massive movie set lights, which is like me, a kid in a candy store, because I was, I'm the one that like, I want the DVD extended set. I want to watch every making of how did they do that? How did they build that set? I still remember the Star Wars movies and some special that was on TV once a year on how they made the sound effects and showing them with these models. And you're like, how did they do that? And so I'm drawn in immediately. And I was like, Lisa, wait a minute. And I see and I look and there's just hundreds of people on this set. I'm like, this isn't local news. This is like, this is the real deal. Something's going on. And I turn around and I see this guy walk past me and I'm like, oh, you're the... Uh, you're the guy, you were in The Rock with Sean Connery. I know, I don't know who, I don't know who that is, but I know he's somebody famous. And so everything starts to happen and we realize they are producing some show. We don't know what it is, but they start coming over to the crowd looking for extras. And Lisa and I are like, come on. I mean, it was 45 minutes of them picking seriously everybody but us. We're like moving. Like as the guy comes over that has the clipboard, we're like, don't we look photogenic, <laughs> like pick us, please. So it looked like it wasn't gonna happen. They had a street full of extras. They were doing this one shot 
with this one actor walking in front of the White House. The guy came over and he goes, we need two more. And we're like, and they're like, you too. And I was like, yes, yes. I was so excited. So let me show you this first picture here. Um, this was the first episode of the West Wing. Uh, and that is my wife, Lisa. And then the next picture, the next frame was, there I am. And we... <laughs> Yes. We were in the West Wing. Uh, we didn't know that it was the West Wing. And so we got to watch it on TV and we're like, oh, there we are. Let's call everybody. Um, we're so excited. My wife wasn't so excited after 13 takes. And if you know anything about production, there's a lot going on for very little that is going to be produced. So we're out there for several hours. This shot is maybe 30 seconds. Um, but one of the things that they say, they're setting up the shot. So they reset the actors, they get them back. And the first thing they yell is background. And that is our cue to start our little walk. Oh, look at the White House. There it is. Isn't that amazing? But we weren't allowed to say anything. We were supposed to pretend that we were talking. One of the great things about being picked last is we were put right by these two. And so we saw the camera and we were like, let's slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Make sure we're in, you know, we we're so excited to be in the shot. So I started thinking about that because I was reading this passage this week. And you can be in the crowd near the making of the gospel, the making of the Jesus story, even in a slick production and not really be in it. You can be part of the background, but your name isn't going to show up and take it another step further. It's a story about the White House, about our government, about fictional characters. It's not even the real thing. So we're two steps removed from the real deal. We can't say, yeah, I know John Spencer, Leo McGarry, White House chief of staff. Like, I can't say that because I was just an extra just in the background. Today's story is about you finding your place, where you stand in relationship to Jesus. And hint, hint, that's what every story in the Bible is about. But this is how God kind of framed this for me today. And on the other side of things that you can think also that you are completely unknown and unseen by him, counted out, unimportant, too far gone, that he couldn't possibly care for you or help you. Today, we find out where we stand. And I want you to ask this question as you're listening to the story. Um, and remember, I say this, it's not about knowing everything that is said on a morning. It's about knowing the one thing that Jesus is pointing out to you, the way he is ministering to your heart. And a lot of times you'll know it. It's like usually my cue when I've been listening to somebody, a pastor or somebody over the years who's teaching, my heart starts pounding out of my chest. I can hear it. And I know the Lord is like this right here. This is for you. This is for today. Where is Jesus? Where am I in relationship to him? Luke chapter eight, verse 40. Let's enter the movie set. Now, when Jesus returned, that's from across the lake, the story we did last week, the crowd welcomed him. They were all waiting for him. And you can imagine, I bet some of the disciples got a little tired of this. They get back to the shore and they see hundreds of people like, there he is, there he is. And you know, there was one of those disciples that was like, oh brother, there they are again. 
I don't know if I signed up for this. So they're all waiting for Jesus. And there came a man named Jairus, it may be Jairus, but I'm going to say Jairus because that's how I heard it growing up, who was a ruler of the synagogue. He's an important dude. Okay. Got a big position, has important responsibilities. And so imagine him in a, a nice suit. You know, they didn't have it, but just imagine him in a nice suit. He falls on his knees, on his face, at Jesus' feet, imploring him. So read the words of scripture and imagine you in this position where you're going to read about somebody that he loves is sick. Are you going to do it with like, please, will you come? Be great if you did. Are you going to be begging? That's the imploring. He's on his face. He's on his knees and he's important and he shouldn't be, but he's imploring Jesus, come to my house. She's my only little girl. She's only 12 and she's dying. Jesus, please come. So Jesus doesn't have to be convinced. He goes, it's like, let's go. I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. As they're going, it says, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Another version says the people were nearly crushing him. One of those crowds that's annoying to be in. And there's a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And though she had spent every dime, all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anybody. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately the bleeding stopped. So characters on the stage, crowd, Jesus, disciples, Jairus, woman, a girl who's dying and everything kind of stops at this moment. So the crowd's waiting for him. The crowds are pressing on him. They're reaching for him. Some of them are desperate for sure. They're there. They want to be healed. Others, not so much. They're there to, this is cool. We know he does things. He does miracles. Kind of like watching a car that's been crashed. You know, when you're driving on the freeway and you get mad when this traffic stops and you know there's something up there. And what do you say when you're way, way back? Oh, why do people have to look? And then you get close and what are you doing? Same thing. This is a, people in the crowd just like that. Want to see what she's just going to do. Suppose you could interview somebody who was in this crowd and ask them, hey, what was it like? Were you, did you live in Capernaum? Did you see this event? Yes, yes. I've lived in this town for 30 years. Nothing happens in Capernaum without me seeing it. And if you go with us next summer, hopefully we get to go um, with the COVID stuff, but we go back to Israel, you go to Capernaum. It's a dumpy little town. You can throw a rock across it. It's small. And so people know what's going on. Nothing's going to happen without people saying, so he was like, yes, I was there. You saw the synagogue ruler Jairus. Yep, I know him. Dude was on his knees, on his face. I couldn't believe it. Do you know the woman? Well, who really knows her? I mean, she's, I mean, she kind of got what she deserves, right? I mean, if she's bleeding for that long, what did she do? Because that's what they thought back then. If you were sick, people thought, hmm, what'd you do? What'd you, how did you sin to get this? And so he's talking about it. He goes, so I kind of know her, but I definitely saw her. I knew she shouldn't be there. How about Jesus? Were you close to Jesus? Well, I was rubbing shoulders with the people who were rubbing shoulders with Jesus. So yes, I was close to him. I was close to him. I was near him. There's lots of stories like this. 
You've probably heard them. I know I have. I've heard Jesus. I've heard about him teaching. I've, I've been to church. I've, I've witnessed miracles. I've even experienced something in my own life. I'm close. So I thought about this story this week. And just so you guys know that too, like I, I don't pull from some file. I jump in like head first. And I was telling Carl, like, you know, tomorrow I, I throw it in the crock pot and I just sit with it all week. And sometimes more focused and I listen, but I'm listening for me. I'm listening for me. I'm not like, what do they need to hear? I usually say, what do I need to hear? (laughs) What do I need to hear? And this was the phrase that was kind of like a neon sign that was buzzing, just, just annoying sign. And this was what it was. The danger of being close to Jesus. Close. The danger of being on the set of the making of, the making of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The danger of saying, yeah, I'm close to him. I mean, I was was in the background. Or maybe the danger is in how you define close. What does it mean to be close to Jesus? I could say I was close to the actor, John Spencer in the West Wing, but do I know him? No. Maybe this is how you would describe your relationship with Jesus. I'm close to God. We're like this. We're like this. The crowd could say they were close. They welcomed him. Good start. They were all waiting for God. Good start. They're pressing in to get close to him. That's good. They're rubbing shoulders with him. They're going to church. They have accepted him once or twice at a retreat. They've raised their hand. They've gone forward. They've done the whole Jesus close. Yeah, I'm close. Did he change your life? Are you doing things differently? Are you living differently? Well, not really. Nothing's really changed about my life, but I'm close to him. So there's two people in the story that Luke has kind of put, like if you were doing a stage production and you had the crowd, there would be two spotlights. Here comes one on Jairus as he's bowing down. And in a minute, you think this is where the story's going. And then plot twist, here comes the woman reaching through the legs of people and grabbing onto Jesus' spotlight. Two people. And if we could ask them, are you close to Jesus? What would they say? What if we could ask Jesus? Jesus, are those people close to you? Is Chad close to you, Jesus? Jairus is a synagogue ruler. He's important. He's in charge of worship in that synagogue, which means making things are in order, make sure the service happens right and making sure the right people get in and the wrong people stay out. And the wrong people are people like the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. How ironic. Potentially that Jairus may have been the one to say, I'm sorry, if you're still bleeding, you can't come in. It's unlawful. Maybe, maybe not. Either way, something's happening. Something's happening in him now. Something that he maybe even doesn't want to happen. He is on his knees in a suit pursuing this rabbi, definitely showing his colors as far as what's going on in his heart. He's on his face. He's desperate. How about the woman? Bleeding for 12 years, which means outcast for 12 years, maybe longer. She is unlawfully in the street. She is unlawfully near people. She is unable to worship at the synagogue. So how's that for 
You're not only your outcast, but you can't even go to church. Sorry, you're too bad. Yet here she is weaving her way. And if the people are nearly crushing him, that means it wasn't easy to make it through their legs and all the people. She is pushing and moving, crawling through the dust. She's crouching low. She's getting squished in her own frail body as she tries to navigate the pressing crowds. And she reaches for the fringe of his garment. So a rabbi would have four tassels on his garment. And it was kind of like a badge, like a logo. And they would have, usually have a blue thread running through. It's something from the Old Testament. You can look it up and it signified their authority. It was like basically saying, yeah, I work for the CIA. Okay. It was like that kind of thing. Like they knew it was like, ah, rabbi tassels. I don't think she is that savvy in her pursuit that she's like, I need to, because a lot of commentators would be like, oh, she was reaching for the authority of Jesus because that's what it signifies that he's a rabbi. He has authority. I think she's looking at those tassels and she sees them running in the dirt as he's walking. And she thinks about him. You know what? If I touch just the tassels, the fringe, maybe I won't get him dirty because I am unclean. I know that. I'm not allowed to worship. He is a holy man. He is righteous. He is clean. He is pure. I've heard amazing things about him. Maybe if I just touch the tassel of his garment, I won't make him unclean. And who knows, maybe something will happen to me. Why is she doing this? Well, she spent all she had and nothing had happened. She's desperate all she had. Why is Jairus doing this? Because it's his only daughter. It is the alls and the onlys. And when we reach the ends of our life that we start to pursue Jesus. Gives you a little hint into what moves us to closeness with Jesus. What about the crowd, the background actors? They're not at this all or only moment in their life. They can take it or leave it. They're just here to see what's happening. How you approach Jesus matters. How close you get to Jesus matters. Because apparently you can be touching him, pressing up against him, crowding against him, welcoming him, crushing him, and nothing changes in your life. That's what the Bible says. But then you can also touch him and hope that you don't make him unclean and you can get on your knees when you shouldn't be as a synagogue ruler and something happens. Something happens. Now, a legalistic, religious summing up of what we've read thus far would sound something like this. We need to get it done when it comes to pursuing closeness with Jesus. The reason you aren't receiving healing or true forgiveness, you aren't trying hard enough. You got to get on your knees. You got to weave through the crowds. You got to pursue. You got to be brave. You got to be bold. You got to take a massive risk. Get in there. Bow down. Reach for him. That's why it's not happening. But we aren't religious or legalistic around here. At least we try not to be. (laughs) And if you check with Jesus, that's always the antidote to legalism. Look at what Jesus is doing. See what he says. Look at verse 45. Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched me? It says everybody was like, 
what? And Peter basically said, everybody's touching you. Everybody is pressing in on you and you ask who's touching you? Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. Somebody, I, I reckon, I perceive, this is such an interesting moment in the text. I perceive that power has gone out of me. Something happened. The woman saw she was not hidden. She came trembling. She's on her face as well, just like Jairus. She declares before him in the presence of all the people, here's why I touched you. Here's what happened to me in my life. And here's what just happened when I touched your garment. And he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Who touched me? Let's change the question. Who's close to me right now? Who's close to me right now? And it, look at what the text says. When they all denied it, not me, not me. I'm just in the crowd, Jesus. Who's close to me right now? Trembling, she says, it was me. It was me. So here's where my mind goes when I read something like this. Because I, I'm, I'm one of those that like, I don't like to impose on people. I don't like to see people embarrassed. I don't like to see people, you know, un, like just, I don't want it to, to be too hard for someone in a social situation either. Like, so I'm definitely that guy that's like, if I see somebody who kind of say, I'm, I will pop over and because I feel that way too. And I'm like, let's talk a second. This is odd and awkward, isn't it? I hate that. And so I look at this and I'm like, Lord, she came out of her house. She's not even allowed to be outside. She'd get in trouble. She's crawling through the dirt. She reaches, she gets healed and you're calling her out. You're going to make her show her face. Why is Jesus not okay with her just reaching, being healed and then slipping back into the crowd and going back to her home healed? Why does the story not end there? Why does he want more? It says he perceives that power has left him. I got on a fun tangent thinking about this. Um, he felt it leave. And I would say that he perceived and felt and understood what it was doing inside of her body. Does God feel? Isn't God steady? and just fixed, and we know that he's eternal, nothing, no ups and downs and emotions. Well, he created emotions. His deep affection for us. In Jesus, God incarnate, the one who put on flesh, we know he got mad. We know he got frustrated. We know he felt compassion for people. We know he cried. So yeah, he feels. But the other part of him, he's fully God, fully man. The fully God part also has perception that goes back into eternity about things. And what do I mean? Jesus was there in the throne room when the Trinity were standing around the design board and they saw the conceptual drawings for the circulatory system. You know, that part of your body, that vital organ system that circulates blood through your body to your major organs, bringing nutrients such as amino acids and electrolytes and oxygen, carbon dioxide, hormones, blood cells, providing the body with nourishment to grow, fight disease, stabilize your temperature to, I don't know, right around 98.6 degrees. 
the Trinity was standing around the design board and they were like, high five, baby. This is good. This will work. He knows what it was designed to do when it's perfect. And he also knows and perceived that moment when sin entered in Genesis 3 and it took its toll on the human body and on every other human body that would be born, moving it towards death, decay. And so when Jesus perceives that power has left, you know what he knows has happened? He knows when something gets restored to as factory designed. He knows that she reached and got access to original creative design and power. And so power just left me, whoa, you are exactly as I made it and designed it and perfectly healed. I know somebody touched me. Now, why does he ask the question though? This is what's interesting. Why does he ask the question? Does he know who touched him? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So the question has a deeper meaning. The question is like the question in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sin and Jesus is there, the Trinity is there. And you know what they say? Where are you? Is God looking for information? Is he looking for a physical location? No. Is he looking for Adam and Eve to notice the spiritual location they are now in? Fallen, broken, Yes. So when Jesus says, who touched me? There's something going on. He's calling her out. He's looking for her to understand a spiritual location, understanding self-perception. So even though I was feeling it for her, he calls her out. He embarrasses her. He stands at the front of the church with several hundred people looking on and says, if you're new, please stand up. Anybody ever had that happen at church? Oh, it's awful. Let's do it this morning. Stand up and tell us all your sins. We used to go to my grandmother's church when we were little. And I loved going to my grandmother's church because they serve communion every week. And it was real crackers, like saltines. I was like, yes. But the part I hated was Sunday school, which was a total of about seven kids. And six and seven were myself and me and my sister. <laughs> it's like... Who's new here this week? Why don't you stand up? Chad, my grandmother goes here. I like the crackers. <laughs> like, it's awful. It's awful. So I see this happening to the woman and I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? What's, what is the purpose of calling her out and getting her? Like, everybody's looking now. Everybody knows it was her. She's trembling. She's embarrassed, maybe. People start to recognize her. You're out. You can't. Whoa. You know what? You know what's wrong with her? Teacher, rabbi, do you know what's wrong with her? Jesus says, tell them what happened. Tell them why you're here. So she tells exactly why she left her house, why she crawled through the legs of people to get to him, why she touched just the edge of his garment, why all of her money had been spent. Doctors had ripped her off. Nothing had ever worked. Everyone abandoned me, even my family. But then I heard about you. That's why I reached. And I think Jesus could be like, go on. And then what happened? And then I felt this 
life surging through me. And the woman who probably looked usually a little bit ashen and gaunt and her face sunk in and like she was always needing to eat something. Something was just wrong with her like you do if you get lightheaded or whatever. It's like the blood drains from your face. and You're like, whoa, sit down. She probably looked like that all the time. All of a sudden she's like rosy cheeks and just alive and excited and telling everybody what's happening. Jesus, what are you up to? Are people listening to her? Yes. Is she being restored into society? Yes. The creator has not only healed her, but he thought it was important that everybody else knows that she's been healed by him and that she is allowed to be here now. And to bring it home, he tells her what all of us need to hear when he says, daughter. When was the last time she heard that? She a little girl? Daughter, you want to know what it means to be close to me? You're in my family. You're mine. You belong to me. This is what it means to be close. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And it actually says go into peace. No more of where you've lived. Go into peace. She's restored. She's healed. She's welcomed. She's feeling loved. She's felt it in her body. Now is feeling it in her soul. True peace, true love, wholeness. And she apparently has the kind of faith that causes Jesus to notice. Look at this. Your faith has made you well. So I look at that and I say, well, how do I get that faith? Where's that come from? Can you buy it? Can you ship it fast? What do I need to do to get that faith? And remember, we have to resist the legalistic temptation to say, I just got to do it. Just go for it. Be like her. Crawl through the crowd. How do I get that faith? Verse 49, and we're going to get Jesus clear words about where faith comes from. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, and we probably know it was whispered, not said to a lot of people, but we already know that Jesus can read thoughts like yours right now. He knows that, whatever you just, he reads thoughts. And so I bet the guy was like, hey, I'm so sorry. She died. Don't bother him anymore. Don't bother him. He didn't come and just pronounce it out loud. I'd say it's a friend. He whispers it into his ear. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, uh-uh, no, don't fear. Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. So Jairus, something happened there because verse 51 says, when he came to the house, so they kept walking. Maybe he's thinking as it's too far gone. Jesus didn't let anybody go in with him except Peter, John, James, mom and dad. They go in to see the child who is dead. All were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And if you know anything about the New Testament, they start using that term for people that die. They're sleeping. Why? Because to be done with this life is to wake up in the next. But she is gone. 
is not trying to mince words here. She is gone. They laughed at him. Those who had been hired to cry, they had hired mourners, laughed at him knowing she's dead. But taking her by the hand, just think about the, the reach from the woman, what she felt through her body. Taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. Her spirit returned. Hmm. She got up at once. He directed that something should be given her to eat. We don't live in spiritual la-la land with Jesus. Okay. He made food many times. It's like that. Hey, you hungry? Get her something to eat. She was dead. <laughs> she needs food now. And her parents were amazed. Yeah. Yeah. But he charged them. Don't tell anybody what happened. Jesus, you don't know anything about PR. First of all, this moment for Jairus, this awful moment, any parent in the room knows that the thought of this and some who have experienced this um, of losing your child is the worst thought on the planet. It's awful. And if anything, your prayers are something like this, Lord, just let it happen to me. I'll do anything. Let it happen to me. Just not my kids, not my wife. Like that's just kind of a common prayer. I bet Jairus had prayed God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the other saints, and all, what, have, what, do I need, what do I need to say? What do I need to say to get you to do it? Please heal my little girl. I'll do anything. And it's because sickness and death were never supposed to happen that Jesus came. And eventually we get where there's no more sickness and death, but right now he's introducing people to the kingdom of God. And it looks like Jesus... And thus God has been distracted by the woman. Because right, he was going, the girl was sick when he was going, and the woman interrupts, and what happens? She dies while that whole thing goes on. Do you think Jairus maybe had some kind of Mary and Martha Lazarus moment? Lord, if you had only come when we asked you to come and not waited four days, he wouldn't have died. So he's probably got that going on a little bit. He's a mess as a dad, but also somebody who's trying to believe. He doesn't know what he should do. Have you ever prayed prayers like that, where you're just like, come on, Lord, what do I have to do? Jesus isn't distracted. He's right on time. <clears throat> Listening to our outward and inward conversations, he's right there with us. And so he speaks with authority and says, oh no, I'm still coming do not fear, only believe. Only believe. Jesus, did you just do the whole churchianity thing and ask me to just have faith? Did you tell me just to have faith? And I think Jesus would say back to us, you bet your red velvet covered pew I did. Take out your hymnal and just have faith. Now, if you've ever heard that in the middle of a crisis or a moment from another follower of Jesus, sometimes you want to go, don't tell me to have faith. The problem we have is this. Jesus tells the woman, your faith actually made you well. Jairus has a dead little girl and supposedly a late Jesus. And Jesus tells him, you need to believe. 
What's interesting though, is he doesn't say, oh, I see it, now I'll go. He goes anyway. He goes anyway. So which is it? Do we need to have the faith of the woman and really be pursuing? Or do we need to be like Jairus who's like, I don't have it right now. My little girl is dead. This is what I want you to hear about faith this morning. When Jesus tells you only believe, when Jesus tells you just have faith, it has been gift wrapped. He is standing there with a box and a bow and it has your name on it. And he's saying, all you have to do is receive it. If he's saying it, just have faith, it's gift wrapped. Here, have it. All you have to do is receive it. Now, why do I know that? Because this story looks like there are two people trying to find Jesus in the middle of a crowd when really, you know what's happening? Jesus is finding them. Jesus is fishing. He is, and I want you to picture him in the middle of the street as he's walking through with two fishing rods. And one has a line and a lure and a hook and it is in the heart of the woman. And then one has a line and a lure and it is in the heart of Jairus. And as Jesus walks along, he's click, 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 whoop, click, click, wee. He's pulling them in. He's fishing. He is drawing them in. He is providing faith. Now, the only reason I can say this is because the Bible says that. Faith is a gift from God. So whenever you see the kind of faith that is true and real and effective, there is always someone else in the room. Jesus is the most important person in the room. Whenever it's real, whenever it's true, it's because he is there. He is giving it. He gives us everything we need on a platter or in a box with a bow. You pick, but it's coming. All the rest, stagecraft. Jesus wrote, directed, starred in, and produced the play that is called your life. And when he writes you apart, you may hem and haw and improv a little bit, but if he wants you, he will get you. Now you may be like, what about free will? Somehow in the sovereignty and free will discussion, no rules are violated. And you are absolutely free to say yes or no to that gift. But once you do, you realize, man, he had me all along. He was drawing me in this whole time. It was inevitable. He was coming after me. Does that bother you? Good. It should. It bothers me. And that tension won't be resolved until we get to heaven. Just accept it. It's both God saying, Father, all that you give me, listen to that, that verse. Father, all those that you give me, I will lose not one of them. Which part of that verse says all of those who truly perceive, you know, pursue me and come after me and really have like that gird up your loins faith. It's not what he says. All that you give me, I will make sure they stay with me. I won't lose any of them. But then we also have verses that say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Choose you this day whom you will follow. That tension will never go away. Your conscience, your free will will not be violated. And yet you will know once he has you that it was not you that it was him drawing you in. Faith is never about the faith, but about the one in whom your faith rests. The central character of this story, just like every other story we do, is Jesus Christ. And everybody else 
It's kind of like he's this center thing and everybody else is just rotating around him. He's always the focus. Everyone is always trying to see where they are in relationship to him. Even if you ignore it, even if you think, no, if I'm going to go off and live my life, you're still on that merry-go-round and he's right in the center. You must respond to him. Jesus finishes, and I love it, talking about the crowd, talking about background action. You know what Jesus does with the crowd? He says, out. James, John, Peter, mom, Jairus, come with me. I read that and I'll tell you, I get a little jealous. I do. I worry. I worry about getting to heaven and having to wait in a line to see him, to see Jesus, the Jesus pavilion at Epcot. I hate that place. I go in there as a kid, Italy pavilion. It's like, this isn't Italy. This is just a bunch of lines, restaurants, fake buildings, French pavilion. That's not the Eiffel Tower. That's a little one. I want the real thing. Take me back to Space Mountain. <laughs> You're telling my mom and dad, what are we doing at this place with a big ball? What is this? I want to be close. I don't want to stand in line. Jesus, can I be, can I be in the room? <laughs> can I be a part of your close friends? And I'm tempted to be like, I'll promise I'll work on my faith. And he's like, eh. gift wrapped. Don't forget. Lord, what's this all about? What's this whole thing about? Is this about the crowds? Is this about the woman? Is this about Jairus? It's about the friend that came to tell Jairus, the disciples witnessing you do this, the mourners that were hired, that were crying one moment, laughing the next. Is it about the little girl who woke up and was like, what's happening? I'm hungry. What's this all about? Yes. Yes. Because ultimately it is about you, where you stand, where is your place? Are you on the set of the gospel or do you know him? Do you know him? Which means to be known by him. Where are you? Are you standing on the edges, a safe distance from Jesus? Are you the woman thinking you only need a touch? Then you can deal with everything else. Just fix this one thing, Lord. Do you hear him saying, are you new here? Why don't you stand up? Tell everybody what he did, what I've done for you. Are you Jairus? You think things have gone too far and you just need to quit bothering Jesus and you're beyond his help. Hear him say to you this morning, I am wrapping this up for you. It's a gift. I got my hook in your heart. He's pulling. Might as well give in. Might as well quit resisting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jairus and this sweet daughter of yours. I'm sure we'll get to meet her and know her name in heaven. Um, the little girl. Boy, I bet she had a story to tell growing up. Let me tell you about the day mom woke up and all these people were standing around me, <laughs> looking at me like I just came back from the dead because I did. But Lord, all of it, just imagine people looking to you, catching your eye, noticing your compassion, your love, your grace. And then every once in a while getting these glimpses, glimpses of you and your glory and your 
kingly rule. And Lord, realizing that you're not just a king that had the title for a few people, Lord, that you're the king of the universe. You're the one who actually made it. And Lord, that we are a part of a kingdom that will never end. And so God, we need the grace and the faith to respond this morning. Would you meet us now as we worship together?